0: Now, the Federal Drive with Tom Temmin.
1: Hello, and thanks for joining us on this Wednesday, April 13th, 2022, seven minutes past the hour. I'm Tom Temmin. Our producers are Eric White and Peter Messerlian, our digital editors Amelia Brust and David Thornton. Coming up in this hour of the Federal Drive, national security threats and the growing debt, Congress can't say it hasn't been warned. Plus, the Postal Service ponders the best way to measure its own delivery performance. Those stories much more ahead during this hour of the federal drive. But first, the president's management agenda last week went from idea to action plan, complete with strategy leaders and metrics for success. For some of the rationale behind the latest updates and what they mean for you, I spoke with the Deputy Director of the Office of Management and Budget, Jason Miller.
2: Good to be here. Good to be speaking about the President's Management Agenda and the work that we've been doing and the work that will be ahead. As you noted last week, we announced a number of additional steps on the President's Management Agenda, which we launched last November. Those steps included the challenges and opportunities in each of our three priority areas, Goal statements, specific success measures, and the leaders, the federal government leaders who will be leading the actual work in terms of government-wide implementation going forward. Let me just, in walking to that, let me just step back for a moment. So last November, we launched the President's Management Agenda. We released a vision grounded in values for improving the capacity of the federal government to do its business, to deliver on mission, to restore the American people's trust in government. We had three priority areas, and that's where we released more details. Those three priority areas are one, strengthening, and empowering the federal workforce, two, delivering excellent, equitable, and secure federal services and customer experience, and three, managing the business of government to build back better. And when we did that, and as we march forward, we have three objectives in mind, right? One is keep it simple. We're trying to deliver across a large, complex organization. We need to be focused. The definition of three core priorities and how we're implementing it is all built around that. The second is we have to connect those management priorities and how we actually measure success to the outcomes, to the broader outcomes that we're trying to deliver. Just like any high-performing organization, you need to start with what it is you want to achieve and then determine how you're going to get there and the capacity you need to do it. And third, and I think this is critical to actually embedding this on an ongoing permanent basis, is like any good organization, we need to lead with values, values that speak to the American people, people we serve, values that speak to the federal workforce, people doing the work, and they're consistent with the president's expectation of the federal government as a model employer. Those values are equity, dignity, accountability, and results. And so I think last week's announcement was an important step forward, and we're going to continue to put out... And refine and iterate on uh, on the work as we uh, as we march ahead.
1: Now, quite a number, a couple of dozen, actually, people were chosen as the strategy leads under the overarching leadership. People that were selected some time ago. Yeah. And how did you arrive at those people, and give us a sense of, of the degree to which they are career people? Uh, sure. people with skin in the game beyond any particular administration.
2: Yeah, I think the majority of them are uh, federal career leaders. But let me let me speak to it by starting with, so the overall president's management agenda was developed in concert across agencies, and it is led from a governance standpoint by the president's management council. That's a council that I chair that's made up of the deputy secretaries, administrators of the big agencies, the CFO Act agencies, if you will. And the PMC had its hand in the thick of really developing the specific priority areas. About a month ago, we announced leaders for each of the three priority areas, the main buckets of work, we have three PMC members on each. So for example, our strengthening and powering the federal workforce is led by Director Okuja, the director of OPM, uh, Deputy Secretary Hicks from the Department of Defense, Deputy Secretary uh, Sue from the Department of Labor. Tom, what you're referring to is that then underneath each priority area, we have a number of strategies. We have four strategies under our federal workforce. Each has two or three or four, in one case, leaders, most of whom are federal career leaders who are going to be actually driving the work forward. In addition to those strategy leaders, we also have additional team members that are participating to support implementation overall of those priority areas for all three of them we also have you know a number of folks engaged in the actual doing not just the the leading
1: and i'm remembering back to the national partnership for reinvention of government under the clinton administration i was around to watch that too and one thing i remembered distinctly from that era is how deeply into the bureaucracy some of those initiatives went and there were people at pretty low level that were excited by this and were taking part in this. So is it the expectation of the management council and the OMB and of you that the strategy leader's career, though they might be, have been given a really big assignment and they're going to need some time and staff? And how do you expect this to work? Un- and un- how undoubtedly. Deeply-
2: Look, I think when you step back and you focus on, okay, we have identified three major priority areas. One, our people. It's the core asset of any organization in 2022 and going forward. Our people are critical to mission delivery, and it has to be the way the government functions. And we have some big, some big gaps to fill when you look at the level of engagement relative to the labor market overall, particularly at a moment that we have a tight labor market. We have to be a competitive employer. We have to have a highly engaged workforce. Our service delivery, the people we are serving, the very core functions of our major federal services. We have 35 different high-impact service providers, agencies like Social Security Administration that are touching millions of Americans, or the Veterans Administration that are touching millions of Americans. So not only in coordinating the overall work does it require us leveraging those teams, but when you go down into the actual specifics, for example, we have a number of specific commitments around our customer experience work that was uh, captured in the president's executive order in December. Those are career teams there. It's at the core of what they are trying to do and deliver each and every day. Part of the value of this work is being able to elevate it, give it consistent leadership attention, and really help advance the work of teams that have the expertise and have been trying to drive this for a long time.
1: So for those people involved, will it become, in a sense, kind of a new day job in addition to whatever assignment they had normally, before last Wednesday?
2: Well, any time you are participating in cross-government work, it does require uh, a little bit of extra sweat equity. But I think for the vast majority of the people doing the work, we're aligning this with what government should be doing. We should be an excellent employer. We should be competitive in the labor market. We should be, have a highly engaged so folks. We're the largest, most complex employer in the country. We have more than 4 million employees. It's our asset, and we need to be focused on it, just like other large large organizations. It's always a top top priority, CEO and senior leadership team, and it's the same within the federal government. Our actual services we are a huge service provider. It's at the core of what we do. Having the people who receive those services have a good experience in it not only improves those services, improves the missions of our agencies, but then reinforces trust in government. So I think. Part of what we have tried to do back to our three objectives is embed our management priorities in what we 're trying to achieve, and then it makes it part and parcel of the day jobs of the vast majority of people that are working in this and we 're structuring in a way we 're elevating in a way we 're defining success what success looks like in a way that we can really move the needle here in a substantial uh, in a substantial manner
1: and I was looking at all of the metrics under each of the three basic areas and it looks like you specifically or, or deliberately left them without necessarily numbers on each one, for example, increase yeah. the number of agencies that do this right. or do that. That does leave it open to saying, well, it can improve by 1% or it can improve by 99%. So what's your expectation on how the metrics will be measured and deemed? Yeah, this one's really working because it's up by more than 1%. Yeah.
2: For First, we have a bit, we have a bit of a mix. So there are some instances where we've identified a specific goal. That we're trying to achieve. We're trying to, you know, for example, achieve 75% or higher trust in our high-impact service providers, a specific measure. In other places, we're saying we want to increase the percent or improve. In part, that might be because we don't have a strong enough baseline today to establish a clear target. In some areas, we actually acknowledge that we need to improve the underlying data of the measures that because we don't have the right data to actually measure the improve, set of improvements that we want to make. So this is going to be iterative. We've defined clear targets in a few places where we can, and we think that's appropriate. We've identified the things that we're going to be looking for improvement, in part of the work ahead is to be clear on what is the right near-term target. We've also identified areas where we need to improve our underlying measures if we're going to be successful in this in the years to come.
1: One of the unfortunate measures, which seems to be persistent over the decades in the federal government, is that the percentage of, say, minority employees, Hispanic employees, for example, or black employees, it just simply does not move up, the percentages don't hold as you get to the higher ranks to the senior executive service. This has yes. just been seemingly intractable. Is that one of the measures you'll be using? I mean, that'll take some years. You know, Yes, to...
2: it'll, take, it'll take time. I think, look, we have agencies that relative to other large employers do perform well on DEIA measures, but you are absolutely right. That is an area of, uh, of where improvement is needed. And one of our four what we call priority level success metrics, I mean the measures that we're looking at across the priority areas. So when we look at strengthening and empowering the federal workforce, we have four that we're looking at holistically across and then we have specific measures for each of our strategies, one of which is around uh, DEIA measures that we including the but some of that is the diversity of the workforce. Some of that is uh, our, our, do employees feel? That their uh, work, that their workplace is inclusive for someone like that, and that's uh, equally critical.
1: And also on the workforce issue, the the topic of the federal hiring process. There's a lot of reference to improving that, mm-hmm. and you know this is the subject of policy. And there's so many different hiring authorities. Each one has a different hiring process to go with it. It's kind of hard to come up with an average. But again, during the Obama administration, there was a pretty strong gambit to reduce literally the number of days from someone applying for a federal job to them being hired or not hired. That needle never really moved. Is that, is that a revived goal?
2: So undoubtedly, length is a challenge, particularly in a competitive labor market. Uh, one piece of our work here is our efforts to improve the and transform the personnel vetting system across the federal government for security and suitability. That's only one piece of the process of getting a person from application to in a seat where they are where they are doing work. But our, our focus, one of the I think the lessons learned was you know just measuring days hired between time zero and time one sometimes did not actually improve the performance of the process to deliver outcomes. So we're trying to look at things like are we attracting the right people for the right role? that agencies are actually meeting their targets and filling jobs. What was identified as a challenge in the past was the hiring process was inhibiting that, but we're going straight to the outcome measure. We're also looking at hiring manager satisfaction. This is an area that if you look at our, so we have mission support surveys. These are run by GSA. They look persistently low is our performance on Uh, human capital support systems, and particularly looking at hiring managers and their satisfaction with whether they're getting their needs filled in the hiring process. And we're making that one of our priority measures that we're looking
1: at. All right. And I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about the customer experience measure, the Forrester Research. Again, that's Mm -hmm. a very large macro measure and it's probably hard to move that one more than a few percentages because averages are what they are. But when it gets to specific transactions, as you mentioned, say with Social Security, a lot of contemporary measures used by industry that are more than just these macro survey types of things, time to transaction, how fast was a trouble ticket resolved, how long did someone be on the phone? Is it your vision that a lot of these contemporary measures get down to the brass tacks will also be part of the measures of success customer yes we experience. will
2: we will have and this will be at a agency by agency level because for each of our high impact service providers of which there are 35 they have to measure performance they will have both you know as you described the brass tacks as well as survey measures but actually i think it's an important distinction when you think about surveying satisfaction with a service at the point of service delivery versus a broader survey that says, do you have confidence in this industry or this service provider? It's very different when you say, hey, you just received this service with good experience. Do you trust the the provider of the service that you just received? And we've seen real improvement in areas of the federal government. That said, as you can see in the Forrester measures, we are way behind other industries. So yes, this is an area where i think if we see market improvement we start moving towards more in line with other industries we have performance. but if you look at like the va the va moved the needle from you know 55 to 60% trust in the in the provision of that service to to you know by like 30 40 points in 7 years that's a huge number for millions of veterans that are being served by that administration are there areas where they have to make a lot of improvement yes But they're also a model for demonstrating that improvement can be made.
1: And also, there's a 10-agency collaborative with respect to the citizens' life cycle. And again, there used to be a video about this, you know, sort of cradle-to-grave government. Do you ever worry that you could almost overstep people's perceptions of how much they want the government to be part of their lives in the first place?
2: Our focus here on life experiences, so let me just explain the intent The intent of our focus on life experience is a recognition that there are certain moments where the interactions with the government are really critical to you as an individual. So an example would be approaching retirement. When you're approaching retirement between 62, 65, et cetera, you're going to be interacting with SSA, Social Security Administration. For your Social Security benefits, you're going to be interacting with HHS, For your medicare benefits it's true for millions of americans every year and for you as an individual you don't want to have to interact with different agencies that all treat you as a separate person you want the government to see you as you person who's trying to make a decision a person who needs good information a person whose time is valuable a person who wants the service provider to be responsive to their needs and that's how we are trying to approach life experiences from the perspective, from the shoes of the customer receiving the service, acknowledging that they are receiving that service across multiple agencies, and rather than acting in separate silos touching that person, we want to approach as one entity, not to be more intrusive, not to have more places in which the government is touching your lives, but to acknowledge the places that the government's absolutely critical to you. It can also be in places like recovering from a disaster. And there's a natural disaster if you're, t- if you're interacting with FEMA or HUD for housing or SBA for an emergency small business loan. The government should provide an approach for you that makes it easy. That doesn't make you, you have to drive back and forth between where you have a roof over your head and your old residence that has been destroyed to take pictures or meet somebody on site. And so those are the kinds of life experiences where we're building cross-agency teams where the focus is on the individual and how they are going through that experience and the role of, of government already to make that seamless, to make that easy, to make that less stressful at a time when often people are facing a lot of stress.
1: And I think you've stated before, and the documents have stated, there's a major information technology component to this. Yes. I didn't see it in the latest documents, but I imagine it, I just probably overlooked it, but the no wrong front door idea is really- yeah, it is. A, the technology
2: component is foundational to our success. I mean, that's true on the on the federal workforce front, not just that we uh, have major efforts to hire more technologists across the government, cybersecurity specialists across the government, but also the experience for people working. Want the tools that allow them to be successful, uh, and obviously, from a service delivery standpoint, you want a no front, a no wrong door approach. You want, some people want in-person interactions. Some people want digital interactions. So it's meeting the expectations and exceeding the expectations of the customers that we are serving.
1: Right. Is the expectation then explicit that this is not only an online government effort that's going on, but in customer experience, but also extends to the telephone centers. And I don't, I'm sure you know about those and also the offices that are just creeping open again.
2: Yes, we have, um, Look, I think different services are serving different groups of Americans who have different needs. And that's why we have to adjust our services accordingly. Digital is an area that we need to make meaningful improvement. We want digital to be an available option because it is often, particularly now, for most people, incredibly convenient. But if that was the only option, in certain cases, it would decrease accessibility for those services. So we need to get the balance right.
1: And just a final question then. Getting back to federal employees, there's teams named, there are strategy leaders named. If someone is inspired by this somewhere in anywhere out in the bureaucracy, what would you encourage them to do at this point if they're not already tapped?
2: Well, first, being engaged in strengthening your own teams, investing in the people around you is the most important thing that all of us can be doing. To the extent you want to be participating in this work, uh, reaching out to the office of your deputy secretary or deputy administrator uh, who is connected in through the PMC uh, is the best way to get engaged. Or if you're a part of one of the management teams through the various uh, CXO councils, are all plugged into this work in different ways shapes and
1: forms. Jason Miller is Deputy Director for Management at the Office of Management and Budget. There's more to the interview, find it in its entirety along with a link to more about the president's management agenda at federalnewsnetwork.com slash federal drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows.
3: Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, As a company grows, WEPA is growing as well, and you are so spot on. We have, as as leaders, we have to let go and trust those people that work for us and empower them to do their job and then let them roll. And that's not always easy. Cough and cold season
0: is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet.